Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ledlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. Candace, could you possibly have seen two months of doing this, of life looking like this? It's been very interesting, but I will tell you, Kristen, uh, shows, television, artwork, and growing lemons have become the whoa 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 whoa. okay i didn't know that you skimmed over that yeah you skipped right over that you grow lemons now i just figured you know i gotta be resourceful and you gotta limit trips to the store how did you got a lemon tree okay rewind how did you decide on lemons how did you learn how to grow lemons and how many were around your home our first batch of lemons we we pulled 12 off of the tree my daughter loves making lemonade and wow. so we buy lemons all the time. And then she makes me tea and like, we kind of play around with tea. So we use lemons like all the time, cooking, all that. And so for Valentine's day, I got her a lemon tree. We got 12, so- we have like 10 or 12 more that are almost ready. Wow. Okay. So Valentine's day, we're looking at what, mm-hmm. three months ago. So 90 days has produced this crop yeah. of lemons. And we're loving it. Like Layla goes outside and I think she takes a picture of one lemon, like the bud of the yeah. lemon growing <laughs> every probably four or five days. She loves it. Oh, wow. Okay. So what's been up with you? Well, I can't top that. <laughs> I, I, I do not have a lemon tree growing. I have continued though to somewhat work out. And every single time I log on to work out, I notice that you're already working out. So I'm doing my best to keep up with you. But other than that, like you said, binge watching shows and waiting for the last dance. And that's, I think where all of us are at is we're passing time to get to Sunday. But right. then when yeah. Sunday happens, it's like a bittersweet moment because oh, you're yeah. like, okay, there's only this many episodes left. And then last week I was like, oh no, there's only one more week left. If they gave us the unedited, just sit down and listen to every single interview, I would watch that for the next 10 weeks. I would too, because I think just the interviews that they haven't edited. It's almost like in other documentaries other than the best player in the world. I think some of those sound bites would have probably been edited out because yes, he's the best player in the entire universe. He can afford to, you know, have those clips in. Has any, like somebody pops up on the screen and you're like, oh, like excited or surprised that has commented in some capacity on these documentaries? No, I really loved BJ Armstrong. I remember that game that he played in when they beat the Bulls. And I mean, at this point, it's kind of moral victories 
it's one of those um, BJ Armstrong was able to, you knew they weren't going to win the series, but it was a, a, an interesting and, and, and amazing moment for him just as an individual yeah. and a player. Cause I, I loved following him. Iowa, you know, my parents went to Iowa, so there was the connection there. But, but Kristen, I mean, you know, secrets out, you're going to be in Space Jam 2. You saw the setup a little bit in episode seven. You saw the setup. So what was, what was that like? Yeah, full disclosure, I was only at the Warner Brothers Studios for about, I mean, the equivalent of a day and a half. So I didn't get the chance to see those kind of runs like we saw in Michael's original Space Jam. But as I was watching, I thought that same thing, like finals level playoff competition on the set of a movie. As I was looking at the setup that they had for Michael then, and they have a very similar one for LeBron now, like they should have filmed the whole thing start to finish because I, I did a little bit of a research, a little bit of follow-up on that and saw that Bill Simmons said he had done a little bit of recon. Same thing. That's it. That's all the footage that exists. Like everything that we saw, that is it. They, they, every single day that camera should have been rolling. I would watch that. I'd watch 10 more weeks of that. No, I would too. And it was really interesting to hear him talk about the way that they were playing. Like the magic just beat us. So he, you know, Cartwright likes to do this and Horace Grant likes to do this. And so we're going to do this different because, you know, it's just interesting to see the way that he scouted individual players. Like he had to have his eye on Reggie Miller because Reggie Miller was the up and coming. Deanna was the up and coming team. And uh, they had threatened that Bulls team. They were two of the wins in that 72 and 10 season. Yeah, I, uh, I'm really looking forward to next week because I think next week is going to be extremely special. Everybody remembers where they were when the Russell shot, when he hit that shot over Russell. That's a moment in my childhood that is like etched in my memory. So I'm, it's like bittersweet. I don't want it to be Sunday, but I also look forward to it. I want to see it. Yeah. What did you think? Because I think one of the most talked about, perhaps controversial quotes from this Sunday is that winning has a price and that leadership has a price. And we saw a little bit deeper, I think, into that side of MJ's thinking this week. First of all, I want to establish there are rules and then there are exceptions to rules. MJ is definitely an exception. So everyone out there trying to follow the blueprint of MJ, I'm not saying you can't follow it based on the work ethic. I think that's a great person to follow just from watching him in baseball and hearing what Jerry Reinsdorf said about how he improved, that his batting average would have, like he would have made it to the major leagues. You saw that he gotten, got into the batting cages and this is something he wasn't good at. So I think a blueprint you can follow MJ is definitely his work ethic. But his leadership and his, his personal personality and there's, he's an exception to the rule. And because of what he's accomplished, he's allowed to do those things. I mean, how many stays, how many, how many people on the team or how many teammates are going to let somebody that hasn't won as much as he has, or doesn't do the things that he does on the court behave in that way or in that manner? No, that was my first thought. And he did make an interesting point to that idea, which is that I never asked them to do anything that they didn't see me doing. But when I saw that, when I heard that, I thought, okay, that, that for you, yes, worked to win basketball games. 
but just because your leadership style worked for those guys then doesn't mean that it's the end all be all leadership style. And of course, I'm sure his response would be, that's you. You haven't won anything, <laughs> you know, but as I'm watching and listening to that, I'm thinking, you know, I think the leaders I've been drawn to have been those that have become what was necessary to each of their teammates on or off the floor in order to get the best out of those around them. And that to me is the mark of true leadership. That to me is the price of leadership because that requires vulnerability and flexibility on your part rather than expecting everybody else to fall in line to the standard you've set. I agree with what you're saying. And I'm going to add on that the next year when he did retire and Scotty led in a different way. Now, Scotty made his share of mistakes. But what I will say that stuck out to me, especially with the Bulls and their dynasty, was the fact that they addressed things that were uncomfortable. They were a team that didn't hide. When Scottie Pippen pulled that and didn't come off the bench, Cartwright pulled them in. They had a meeting. They talked about it. Scottie apologized, and they moved on. MJ, him and Steve Kerr, he got Steve Kerr's number, called him right away. So I think it's, it, there's something to addressing problems right away. And there's something to leadership when you, you may be an asshole. And you may understand that you're wrong, but when you do understand that you're wrong, you do admit it and move forward. And that's what I got from just the entire Bulls dynasty and Michael Jordan's leadership. But Kristen, he is an exception to the rule. Everybody out there that's going to try to lead like Michael Jordan, he is an exception, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Also, I will admit that it made me giggle that he had to ask yeah, for Steve's I, number after that, that incident. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had no reason to call Steve prior to punching him in the face. <laughs> Steve Kerr's interviews are the best just because he I, is, he is the, the best. best, the best. But that was certainly what stood out to me uh, about the episodes this week. And one guy we continue to see throughout the documentary that we're just not talking about. Andy Bernstein, every single iconic moment captured by that guy, the now Hall of Famer, and he's on the phone next. Andy Bernstein, the first ever official photographer of the NBA. Recipient of the Kurt Gowdy Print Media Award, Hall of Fame inductee, one of only two photographers to have that honor. I was like, holy that is an unbelievable photo. Andy literally had one snap. I was like, oh, that's the one. He is. Like, he's the real MVP. We're welcoming in now our dear friend, the Hall of Famer, Andy Bernstein. When I'm watching The Last Dance, I'm thinking, I think one of the words that describes Michael Jordan well is unpredictable. And yet, you somehow were predicting every single one of these important moments and capturing them and giving us these iconic photos, Andy. Yeah. Well, a part part of my world and my life is just anticipating things. And uh, it comes from experience, uh, a little bit of luck in there. Um, But it's uh, putting yourself in the right position. And, you know, luckily, the NBA and WNBA has put me, you know, in the prime position under the basket most of the time. There have been times when I haven't been, and there's a, stories about all of that. But, um, but uh, you know, and and Candace, you can probably relate to this. You know, when I'm on the court, I'm just locked in. I'm just doing my job, and I'm not 
looking what's going on peripherally. I'm not talking to the other photographers. Um, I'm just there to do my job. And if I'm watching the game, you know, I might as well be home on my couch. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so with, with Michael, it was always, uh, it was, you know, I, I started with magic and, and the Showtime guys. So it was kind of used to unpredictability because nobody <laughs> yeah. could be more unpredictable than magic coming down full speed, you know, down the middle of the court, with Coop on one side and Worthy on the other and Byron trailing. And you didn't know in about a second and a half what he was going to do. And keep in mind, I only get one shot per four seconds. So I, can, I can't do a motor drive sequence in any way. It, um, it's a whole technical thing about that so you know you just gotta you gotta time it gotta get lucky and hopefully i've been lucky maybe a few more times than i've been unlucky <laughs> well it, just as a viewer you've been lucky it's not luck it's skill and maybe once or twice is lucky but after that it, it it's skill but honestly we're watching one of the best players in the game of basketball mm -hmm. in every single picture it seems that you're in some way, shape, or form attached to it. And then also just being out in Los Angeles and seeing the top players that you covered out here that have come here. I mean, you were, you were in the forum when MJ won his first championship. His dad was seen over his shoulder as he's crying, hugging the Larry O'Brien trophy. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about capturing that picture? I mean, the forum's locker room, if, if, if you know, memory serves, is not the biggest locker room. It was probably crazy. How are you able to catch that iconic picture? Well, you're right. The, the forum visitors locker room was really a glorified closet. <laughs> <You know>? And <laughs> yeah. back in the day, um, the NBA used to do the trophy presentation live on in the locker room, whether it was the home locker room or the visitors locker room, home rock locker rooms are usually bigger, but you know, we're talking about the older arenas and they had small locker rooms. And, um, so the visitors locker room was chaos. I mean, after the game, you know, they, they win, they run in champagnes flying all over the place. The network has a, a, a makeshift stage, like in the corner and there's probably 25 people jammed in there, camera people and all kinds of texts. And they go live to the, trophy presentation and they're giving the team the trophy and that's all great michael's up there and I, the only vantage point i could get was to jump on the, the little folding bridge table in the middle of the of the locker room which you know is where the tickets are and the gum and all the stuff that you guys you know snack on or whatever so that's the only vantage point i could get and so i shoot the thing the trophy presentation they go to commercial and they come trying to come back from commercial and they're going to do a one-on-one -on -one with Michael live. And Kristen, nobody can appreciate this better than you, right? They can't find Michael and they, they're, uh, they're going yes, nuts. Yes. The producer, everybody's <laughs> screaming. Keep in mind, there's champagne flying all over the place. The media had been let in by that point. There were family members in there. And I don't know, something just told me in, in the back of my head, look to your left, you know, like, <laughs> and uh, there he was. I looked to my left and down, and he was in a locker maybe five feet from me, four feet from me, and I kind of crouched down. And you can see, if you if you really stop, stop the action of uh, the video, you can see me in the reflection of the trophy ball. You know, <laughs> it's hilarious. People have said to be screenshots and stuff. <laughs> so it's pretty wow. hilarious. So I, it was maybe a couple of three shots, and then somebody grabbed him, and there he, you know, that was the end of that. It was a great moment.
I, I think one of the wildest parts of this documentary has also been us getting the chance to see so much more from that 92 dream team and watching Team USA and Barcelona. Like the first time that I think these guys had really been acknowledged, or at least we saw them as global superstars. And you are, of course, there photographing the entirety of the event. Do you have any favorite stories, favorite memories from that time? Yeah. Well, it was the greatest assignment I think any sports photographer could ever have. You know, I wish I was at a point in my career I could have retired after that because nothing could have, <laughs> nothing came close to it. Well, maybe being with Kobe for 20 years, but that's that's a whole other scenario. But that was an amazing um, assignment. I mean, I was literally embedded with them from day one of training camp, which was in San Diego. Then when they went to Tournament in Americas in Portland, we had a few days off and then the team went to Monaco to train quote-unquote train <laughs> and yeah. then to Barcelona for the Olympics. <laughs> We've seen and, the documentary. Yeah, yeah. train. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's all true. Uh, and so there was seven weeks with these guys and it was it was truly amazing. I mean, I was um, part of the group and uh, once we got to Barcelona and the team had to be literally sequestered in their hotel, no one could leave because they were just too famous. You know, it's like the Rolling Stones were in town, mixed with Elvis and the Pope at the same time. <laughs> and the, on, the only guy who could leave, there were two guys who left. You probably know this story. Charles, Charles Barkley used to go out after midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning, to walk around the Ramblas in, in uh, Barcelona. And, and he was Only like, Chuck. Only Chuck. Yeah. And it was, he was like the Pied Piper. In fact, Sports Illustrated hired me to do a story on him and just document it called the, the I think the Mad Bull of the Rhombus or something. And he would just hold court all night, you know, and then come back at breakfast and go to practice. And then the other guy who could leave was John Stockton because nobody recognized him. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but it was an amazing assignment and just to be a fly on the wall, you know, in the training room, on the bus, uh, of course, the infamous practices that they had starting in San Diego, you know, people don't really talk about the fact that they lost their first practice against the college guys. And uh, Michael, Magic, they gathered the troops. They said, this is never happening again. You know, we weren't allowed to see that, but of course, it's everyone knows it. And uh, since from that moment on, it was just, you know, it was just balls out. I mean, they just didn't stop. So it was amazing. Well, you mentioned, you know, Kobe Bryant, and you were able to, to cover his 20-year career with the Lakers. In 96, a young, skinny high school kid walked into Media Day and came up and shook your hand and said, oh, I know who you are. You're Andy. You're Andy Bernstein. You're, you're on my wall because I have all these <laughs> pictures and all these pictures that you've taken on your wall. And in only Kobe fashion, knowing the photographer behind the picture, what can you say about that first meeting with Kobe and, you know, obviously just what was to come in years to come? Well, he was, he had me hooked from that very first moment. I mean, here's an 18 year old kid, you know, in the chaos of a media day in your rookie year, you probably remember that, right? But you had had a whole college experience and gone through that sort of gauntlet. You know, he went from, jumped from being a high school phenom to being in LA and there he is on media day. And I, like you said, I went and, and onto the set where I had the headshot set up and uh, like any new player, I went and introduced myself and he's like, I know who you are. And 
honestly, I thought he was being a smart ass because I'm like, no, you don't, because we never met. <laughs> it's like, how do you know me? Because I had all your, I had all your pictures on my wall growing up. So I'm thinking in that moment, who reads the photo credit, right? And only other photographers read the photo credit. You need like a microscope or a magnifying glass to read the photo credit on a poster. And lo and behold, like, Fast forward 20 years, I really found out what that meant when we started putting our book together, Mamba Mentality, because he literally dissected every single pixel or, or ink drop on a poster and a photograph of him, of, of everybody he played against, of his idols, you know, like Michael, um, and knew exactly what the body language was, what the muscles were doing, where he's looking, how his hips are, I mean, it's crazy. And I, I was in awe. I mean, I, I, he asked me to pull some pictures of, of him and Michael, for example, when we were starting to do that chapter. And he's breaking the photo down. And I don't see that. I see, you know, I see a nice picture of Michael and, and Kobe. He <laughs> you know? goes, no, man, look where his foot is. And look how I'm, and, and he, in the book, very first caption of that section says everything I'm doing in this photo is wrong, <laughs> right? In his own book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's him. Yeah. 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 That's Kobe. So as a player and, and as a coach and as a parent and just anybody, you know, for him to be that self-deprecating, but also wanting to teach in that way, um, it was such a generous act on his part, in my opinion, that, that the book really was his really opening up and letting us all into what made him tick as the Black Mamba. What then did it mean to you to be congratulated by both him and Magic, some of the greatest to ever play the game of basketball, when you, of course, were inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame with the Kurt Gaddy Media Award? Hey, um, that was... Uh, that was just otherworldly. I mean, it was just, um, you know, obviously it goes without saying I would never have been in that position if it hadn't been for those two dudes and like a lot of other people along the way um, on the court and off the court and people who had mentored me since junior high school and my dad who gave me my first camera at 14. So I, I really felt and at, in the moment of accepting the award, I, I felt incredible gratitude because I was looking out to all the people out there, starting with David Stern, who was front and center, who, who really honestly put the ball in my hands very early. I mean, he, he took me in as a very young photographer. And as the NBA was building in the mid-80s, he said, Andy, you're going to help to be responsible for the visual history of our league. <laughs> now, if that's not like a daunting, <laughs> it's like, okay, boss, <laughs> how do I do that? <laughs> you know, but... Um, but looking back, uh, you know, hopefully uh, mission accomplished in some way because my photos helped to um, sort of define and help people remember. And, you know, I was there at the very first WNBA game, and I'm super proud of that to be along that journey since day one as well. And, um, you know, the beat goes on. And what's really cool is that I'm still, well, I mean, theoretically still working, <laughs> you know. Because usually Hall of Fame, you know, somebody's retired and it's a nice, like, thanks for coming. You had a great career kind of thing. But, but you know, and Adam Silver put it perfectly. He, uh, he took me privately to the side afterwards. He said, Andy, I think your best pictures are in front of you. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was really cool, actually. Well, you carved the lane for photography early on. How can you speak to the way that 
the game has changed as well as your ability to capture it. Because I mean, you think about the types of players there, they've been all every, I mean, some of the greatest of all time, but you're the greatest of all time. So how have you kind of changed your way of photography? How have you always tried to get better? How have you had that like Mamba mentality in photography? Yeah, that's a great question, Candice. The the nutshell version is that the way I approach my job is the same today. If I had a game tonight, if I was shooting you guys tonight, I would have the same exact approach as I had as a young photographer. Um, The same mindset, the same sort of tunnel vision, um, the same routine. You know, I know what time I have to leave the house. I know what time I have to get to the arena. Um, The technology has changed like you know, 180 degrees from film and manual cameras to digital and everything's automatic. But my approach to it has been the same. And, and that was actually part of, of our book because half the book was about the craft of, of basketball and everything involved. But the other half of the book was about process and what he did to keep himself focused and mentally sharp and come back from injuries and play when he's sick or injured and uh, adapt to getting it being an older player you know and all that stuff so i had to i had to kind of pace myself a little bit more as my career went on and not do you know five games in a row (laughs) in five different cities and uh spend a little bit more time taking care of myself and my body and you know started to have kids and that became you know a priority of course to be home as much as possible um and uh you know i just miss being out there and doing what i do um i haven't picked up a camera in two months so that's really bizarre but um you know this that's where i'm at right now and then that hopefully that answered your question because the approach is still the same and um and I still love the game. I, I love it on the men's side, on the women's side. I, I could shoot it. You know, if there was a game going on in my driveway right now, I'd probably get out there and shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> we can come right. over. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> we can provide the commentating. I can play a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was t- I was talking to Shanae on my podcast last week, and she's like, "Yeah, if I come back to LA, I'm bringing a ball, and we're gonna <laughs> we're a little hoop down the street at the high school." You know, yeah. So. <laughs> You, though, have also captured a lot of this generation's greatest, LeBron, of course. Do you have a moment, a shot that stands out to you in his career? I'm thinking of one particular dunk, but I'm going to let you answer the question. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny that that dunk shot, which I which I just shot before the pandemic hit, which is I think in January, early February. I mean, it was honestly, I like the picture. Yeah, the timing was right. Everything worked out great. You know, as a photographer, you're happy when you see that. And and that's a real testament, honestly, to preparation, because if we hadn't done all the things that we do to get ready to make that remote picture work, it wouldn't have obviously happened. But that picture took like a life of its own. Like I could not believe. I mean, that really, even the Jordan hugging the trophy picture, Magic and Bird, Kobe and Shaq. I mean, no picture has ever taken on that kind of life. And, you know, thanks to LeBron for putting it out there to his gazillion followers and then, you know, saying something on TV, which was really sweet of him to do. And I appreciated that. Um, not my favorite picture, honestly, of him ever. I mean, I, I like it and it's, it's a, you know, nice picture. But I think him um, in 2016, when, uh, when he was holding the trophy, um, in the locker room, the two trophies, and he's drenched, yes. soaking wet. I just love that picture. Um, and there's so many of him. His first championship in Miami was great. 
his very first game as a rookie that I shot in Sacramento, he gave me this ridiculous dunk, like right in front of me, which is still um, stands the test of time. But I got to tell you, as a memory, as a memory with LeBron, um, the, the day of uh, President Obama's inauguration, you guys probably don't know this, but the NBA sent myself and Michael Winnick, videographer, to LeBron's hotel, one of the hotels in Beverly Hills, because the team was going to be playing in L.A. the next day. He had his two sons, who were toddlers at the time, watching the inauguration, right? So it was just Michael Winnick and I and LeBron and the two boys, and they're crawling all over him and stuff, and he's trying to watch the inauguration. But it was such a moment. It's such a historical moment you know, in our country and for me and, and to have that memory now with him, um, is super special. That's unbelievable. That gave yeah, me chills. <laughs> um, but you see, even walking into rooms and seeing Andy at work, you see the amount of respect that everybody in the entire room, you talk about athletes, you talk about media, you talk from top to bottom have for you and for your career and how you've advanced the NBA, the WNBA, and everything that you've covered, honestly. And so just to, to be in the presence of that, it really is like being in, you know, being in an, an iconic type of stature. Well, Ken, it's coming from you. I, I can't have any higher praise, honestly, because it's been a joy to shoot your career since day one. And I, I, if you don't mind, I want to share a couple of pictures of you. I mean, yes. th this was a tremendous moment. I mean, you know. All right, so let's describe it for those who are just listening and don't get the chance yeah. to see this. So tell us about this moment. Yeah, so, well, I'd love to get Candace's perspective because, you know, I, I always have to be prepared that one of you ladies is going to dunk at some point, right? Especially those of you who, you know, we know can dunk and, and have dunked. So do you remember this moment? Was it a breakaway? What, what happened in this? I remember this moment. I believe it was my second dunk. So I dunked in back-to-back games my rookie season, and it was a breakaway. Uh -huh. And, yeah, you caught it. I just decided to go up and give it a try. I dunk in transition. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lisa Leslie had been on me to, to, to try and get it down. <laughs> you captured it. So thank you. Well, it's a great moment, and if I if I don't if I don't get that picture, um, I'm in big trouble. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> do you have this photo in your house, Candace? I do. Nice. I do. I, yes. I, I assumed you might. Yeah. No, I do. I definitely. Another another picture I would love to share, Candace, is oh. this moment <laughs> with with your daughter, which which is the most touching moment in all of sports. Honestly, I mean. On the NBA, WNBA, and this is the first time I'd ever seen a player finish a game, you know, do the, do the team huddle thing in the middle, do your interview, and instead of going stage right, you go stage left, right? <laughs> instead of going in the locker room, you go to your daughter. I mean, and she runs out, and when she was little, it was the sweetest thing ever, honestly. Let, let me come in first before Candace. I'm going to give Candace a moment to wipe her tears because, Andy, <laughs> you would have had no way of knowing that today is actually Layla's birthday. No kidding. So looking at this sweet picture. Oh. Yes. Oh, God She's bless turning her. Yeah, I have, I, it's interesting. I, I've, I've went through and gotten a majority of these because my goal is to get one from each season because every, every game in, at Staples when she's in attendance, I always go over to the side. And now it's kind of a joke because I can't pick her up. So she, sure. picks, yeah. <laughs> she picks me up. Um, and, yeah. you know, but this is, 
this is what it's all, I mean, this is what it's about. Just you, you as a parent, you understand that it changes when you have kids and this has been a, and just, it bring like Kristen said, it's bringing tears to my So thank you so much for capturing that. Oh, of course, of course. And you know, then the NBA guys started to bring their kids. Kobe think might've started it bringing um, Gianna and Natalia up on the, on the podium when they were really little um, during a playoff game. And, but uh, I I honestly, I I love that moment. And I'm always very conscious of not like, I don't want to paparazzi you at that moment either, but it's just a beautiful moment in time that I'd like to record. And it, it means a lot to me that it means a lot to you. So I'm glad to know I didn't screw it up. <laughs> no, it means so much to us. And- Tears in my eyes is what, yeah, like that moment to just get to see it because when Layla was that little, I didn't know you, Candace, personally. I was just watching you as a fan. So I would have seen these photos afterward and thought, it, it, it changes your perspective on who the athletes are as people instead of players. And you, Andy, have played such a huge role in doing that. And it's funny because Candace and I thought when you were going to show us some of your photos that they would be, you know, the, the we've used the word iconic a lot in this yeah. conversation, but the iconic photos that everybody associates you with. You know, it might not be what you'd consider iconic, but I did take this picture. <laughs> now, I don't know what's going on. No, I do know what's going on. That is everything. I'm done. Maybe I had to throw that one in there. So, okay. So, so let me describe this moment because <laughs> I try, Candace, to get as many interviews in these post-game situations before the yeah, champagne starts yeah, as possible. Yeah. And sure enough, <laughs> as soon as they got me with the champagne, I turn around, Andy's right there. I give the big shrug, the MJ level shrug. Like, you know what? There's there's nothing I can do about this All moment. bets are off at this point. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had to throw- Hair, makeup, dress, who cares? I had to throw that dress away, which is a fun fact, because there is no getting that smell the, out of that kind of fabric. The next one in that series was this one. I love I love this moment too, Andy, because it's not the typical photo of my covering the NBA, no. obviously hugging Marcus Gasol right. after he wins a championship, you know? And so I love that you captured that moment with me. And Mark is one of my favorite players and people. Some of the best pictures, honestly, the the uh, Warriors' first championship, they went crazy in Cleveland. Yes. I mean, absolutely bananas. I don't know. They must have gotten every champagne bottle in the state of Ohio into that locker room. And it didn't stop. And once Steph came in with the trophy and Clay was behind him after doing all the media he had to do, they just went nuts. And it was literally like raining in the locker room. So I just stuck the camera out. I just stuck it out. And just leaned on the motor drive and shot and shot and shot till the flash died. <laughs> you know? But you get the, you know, the water flying and the flash catches the drops. And, and then somewhere in there, you, get, you actually get a picture or two. So it's kind of cool. I think that that <laughs> championship and then also the following one, like the Warriors' first one and then the Cavs' first one, those celebrations were just unbelievable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember Shaq and Kobe's first one in 2000. You know, that was... Monument. I'm looking at a picture right in front of me here of the two of them hours after, and they were they were feeling it pretty good. A lot of champagne, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> First of all, champagne sneaks up on you, Candace. Oh, it does. I know. I know you know. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it's on tap. Yeah, I remember the Sparks' first championship in the locker room at Staples, and they trashed that locker room. Uh, I don't think they covered the carpet in those days, and so the carpet was literally a sponge. The smell. You couldn't walk on it. I mean, it it was crazy. 
and I almost had an eye, this is another story. I almost had an eye taken out, but in, I won't name names, but in the Bulls locker room, and it wasn't the guy's fault, but I, I went in to get the spare camera. This is like, I think their third or fourth championship. And I was drenched and I came around the corner and the, the dude just at that moment opened the champagne bottle and the cork went right in my shooting eye. And it blew up like this, you know. <laughs> so I had to shoot right. with my other eye. And that was, <laughs> See, these was, are things that as athletes right. we need yes. to hear this. Yeah. Because yeah. there's injuries. <laughs> there's yeah. people involved. There's innocent yeah. bystanders. Like yes. these are things that need to be taken into account when we're <laughs> celebrating, you know, yeah. winning championships. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of fun, great memories. You know, I've been in thirty-seven of those situations and uh hopefully get a thirty-eighth here. Well more if you count the WMB, it's probably been close to fifty. So, you know, we'll see. <laughs> Again, testament to who you are. We love you. And we so thank you for taking the time to be with us. Well, well I love you guys. We're all part of this big family. And it's just wonderful that we're all doing the best we can right now, you know. And, we're, and I think we're helping to fill the gap a little bit and keep people connected. And, uh, you know, love, love, love your podcast. I think I've heard almost every one of them. And, uh yeah. Oh, thank, thank you. you. We so love yours much. also. I love hearing your stories. So exactly, good. Exactly. Exactly. No, but the respect is is definitely there. I appreciate you, everything you've captured, but just talking to you as an individual and seeing what's behind the work uh, and seeing the person that you are. So thank you so much for, for hanging out with us today. Oh, anytime, ladies. Anytime. And uh, keep it going. Happy birthday to your beautiful daughter. Yes. And hopefully, so <laughs> hopefully we'll reenact or we'll get, you know, the next part of that journey uh, very soon. I don't know when, but at some point we'll be on a court yeah. and uh, all this will be behind us, I hope. <laughs> Can't wait. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Kristen, with it being May, and normally we would be looking at prom photos and graduation at this point in time. We'd be getting our yearbooks. I know we did. Uh, shout out to Alonzo Parker for graduating in 2020 class. But we're going to do our, our own, my nephew. We're going to do our own yearbook superlatives. I love it. was like the best thing that you could have done when you were in high school. And if you got voted something. You wait to find out. Yeah. You wait to find out what you're going to be voted. You wait to find out what everybody else is going to be voted. You vote. Yes. I love it. So we're going to do this for the NBA season of 2020. So I, I want you to start. First and foremost, who is the most likely in the NBA to be the class clown? Oh, okay. Class clown, I've got to give to Joel Embiid. I think because he, especially in the year 2020, he's the guy that like is not only the class clown and like, We'll pick them on somebody in class, but then like take it to social media afterwards and make sure that like the whole rest of the school knows as well. <laughs> so I am giving Joelle that title. What about you? I'm going with a little bit more of a subtle class clown because I think there's that class clown that's like out and that's Joel Embiid. And then there's the class clown that's like, he's passing notes with jokes that makes the whole class laugh and the teacher's like, get it, but they can't prove it. Luka Doncic. Ooh. I think that he has slipped in some hilarious jabs, like when he was talking about how their defense improved because Dirk wasn't on the team anymore. I mean, I just think that Luka is the perfect, like, subtle class clown. I love this title because 
again, I don't think that I've ever seen him like do anything boisterous or over the top. But then when you listen to some of his mic'd up segments and like the things that he says quietly, not remembering perhaps that there's a microphone taped to his chest, that is a good call. Yes. So he's class on. What you got? How about most likely to start a media career after retirement? So essentially the next Dwayne Wade. <laughs> I would go with one of our past guests in CJ McCollum. He yes. has already kind of started a media career in his podcast. And he just seems like he's really interested in that. And if we can go into like fifth year seniors, <laughs> we can take it back. I would say Sean Livingston as well. Like Sean Ooh, Livingston, yes. I hope that he gets into media because I think he'd be really good. Yeah, just so thoughtful, so insightful, Yes, Sean is. I, okay, I, I'm taking it a little bit of a different direction. I was thinking more so like the next Charles Barkley in media, and <laughs> okay. I'm going with Draymond Green. I think he'll be the guy like to sit at the desk to say whatever it is that comes to the forefront of his mind and not really care whether or not the player is tweeting about it afterwards and demands an apology. That to me. I just don't know if Chuck and Draymond could share a desk. I don't think that's so. the it's only thing have, that I'm, I'm it will yeah. have to be well after Charles's retirement and well after Draymond's retirement. There's no way that no, it, 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 no, not going to happen. Okay. What, who is most likely to be president in the NBA? Oh, I think that the obvious answer is LeBron. I mean, we've seen who he is, what he is, what he's called to off the court. I could also see a Chris Paul, though, perhaps like a, a James Paul ticket. <laughs> I like that. I can see it. I really like that. Considering, I mean, Chris Paul is the president of the, uh, the uh, yes, yeah, association. So there's just something about him that is president presidential. I like, or that. at least vice presidential. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So James Paul ticket. I like yeah. that. Um, I'm gonna go with a Malcolm Brogdon. I think, oh, I think he's choice. great in activism. I mean, he's got uh, a lot of stuff that he's doing internationally with digging, you know, wells. And um, I also would say that he kind of looks presidential. That's he, kind of... Yes. It. There's something even like physically about his face that like when you said that, I thought, oh yeah, I could see yeah. him as the president. Like I could see him wearing a blue suit. Oh, totally. And there's something about the way that he interacts with people... Like he, he seems to be able to get others on board, if yep. that makes sense. And if that's not presidential, then I don't yeah. know what it is. <laughs> wow, that's a great call. You're going with the less obvious picks, and I like that. Oh, well, thank you. All right, what about the most likely to get a signature shoe? Somebody that doesn't have one already. I'm going with Ice Trey. Not only Ooh. is he a fellow Adidas teammate of mine well so wait is this something that you already know may be happening i have zero just... insight on that okay yeah, i wish you i just did say it nobody will correct you no, yeah. <laughs> i wish i did i wish i was dropping some sort of knowledge or something but no yeah, the ice trays are coming <laughs> they might be though <gasps> they i i think they have to almost because if you think about the market that he's in uh what he's done in his second year all-star starter i think it's coming I think that the other probably obvious pick is Zion Williamson. I think that probably whether or not his play, even like his play at this point, I don't think can supersede his stardom, you know, and they could obviously design a shoe that he's not going to bust clean through the front of. I think so. that would be something I would put 
on my the top of my to-do list. Yeah, like to be to make sure his signature shoe make doesn't sure yeah explode. My <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, what do you want in a signature shoe? It's like, I just don't want it to explode. Not uh, yeah. Who is the most likely to never wear the same outfit or thing twice? Okay, again, I think that probably everyone who just heard you ask that is thinking of one person. And so the obvious answer is Russell Westbrook. And this, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question real quick. Were you the person that voted for the obvious person in high school? Or were you the one that like saw through what everybody else saw and saw to like the soul? Because you strike me as somebody that would vote. Like with my heart? With your heart. Okay. I'm glad you asked that. It really depended on the category. To me, there are some like, there are obvious measures of certain things. Like most athletic, there are statistical measures for that. And this is most obvious. This is not somebody who tries hard and practice every day. This is the most athletic. But then there were other categories like this one, like most fashionable that I would think like this, like what she's rocking every day, like that to me is most fashionable. That to me, it's not just like the every single day, every single person is wearing the same thing and she just has the most of it, you know? So that's why, again, Russell Westbrook, I think is the obvious choice, but who I'm going to lean towards is one of his teammates in PJ Tucker. I'm going to go with PJ, not only because of his, Again, we've overused the word iconic in this episode, but his iconic sneaker closet. I mean, every sneaker that has existed or probably ever will exists in PJ Tucker's closet. And then you watch the way that like, he'll take either a watch or a pair of sneakers and then like create an entire outfit because of that one accent piece. And so I'm giving it to PJ. Yes, PJ Tucker... Yes, I, I agree with you with that one. And I'd like to honestly run her up because he's young. I'm going to say he's like young buck. Shay Gilgis Alexander. Oh, yes. He's very sharp. on TikTok probably more than my daughter. Um, <laughs> if that's possible. I don't think I've ever seen him wear in all the TikToks that he's done, even the same piece of jewelry or his hair the same. At home, he gets up and dresses up. So for me, he would probably be like quarantining in a different outfit every day. Yeah. I could see that. All right, let's wrap this conversation up with most likely to win an MVP who has not won one yet. Anthony Davis. Mm, All right. I think Anthony Davis takes this ship after, you know, I'm not going to say after LeBron's gone because I still think LeBron's going to play many more years, but I do think it's going to be kind of like the passing of the torch and AD's going to get MVP. I like that you chose ad because i think i thought that you would have chosen a younger player that we can all see like great potential from but instead to choose somebody that's well into their career that we still see as mvp level potential because that's the direction i went also and i'm going damian lillard yep like every single season he somehow pulls off the seemingly impossible regardless of who's on his roster and i think that he was underappreciated undervalued for so long and now, now i think that people are starting to recognize and starting to respect what he can do especially in late game situations that it's like uh oh here he is again so i think that he i think he'll be crowned mvp at some point i'd have to agree with you i think it's like 1a and 1aa yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> just the ones yeah. What's good? 
What's good? <laughs> What's good? Not only do I look forward to seeing you, to talking to you every week, but I look specifically forward to this segment where we talk about just the thing that made us laugh or smile this week. For me, it was two young women who are second year med students at Florida State. They've started this website called Kindness Amid the Coronavirus. So they've essentially taken inventory of good things, exactly like we're doing with this segment, good things that are going on during this global pandemic, as small as this school in Panama City Beach organizing for free pizza deliveries to its 50 students, and as big as this safari operator in Kenya who has spearheaded this effort to feed 24,000 families. And when you go to the website, you can not only see what's going on, but they have it laid out globally, and there's a map. So you can see, it's like you can see worldwide the good in people that are showing up. That's unbelievable. I'm going to have to check that website out. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, following up with just joy this week, I mean, it was Mother's Day earlier this week and then my daughter's birthday this week. So I just am so thankful to be able to celebrate with my family. And, you know, I don't think it was by chance or coincidence that Mother's Day and my daughter's birthday are around the same time, just because so thankful for, for her and how much she's grown me as an individual. So happy birthday, Layla, Nicole, mommy loves you so much. I cannot believe you're 11, but I also in the same sense, can't remember life before her. So I'm in my feelings this week. And your auntie Kristen loves you too, Layla. (laughs) (laughs) You guys can do a TikTok later. I try to make it lighthearted so you don't have to cry on the podcast, but you can cry here. But I will, but I will tell you, I'll I'll bring it to a lighter note, Kristen. Um, Probably when Layla hears this, she'll already have had her gifts. I got her a Skip It. I don't know if any of you remember the Skip It. I loved Skip It. Are you kidding? My philosophy is like, I'm going to get her gifts I like to play with so that we can spend time together doing things that we enjoy. So I got her a Skip It. I got her a pogo stick. I got her a scooter. And I got myself a scooter because who wants to ride a scooter by themselves? So we're going to be riding scooters together. I'll tell you, not you. You don't want to ride the scooter by yourself. <laughs> not me. So I, listen, I got her a Sega Genesis game for the Xbox so that we can play all the old Sega Genesis games. I'm nice probably work. more excited about her birthday than she is. You have given yourself many a gift in these items you've selected. <laughs> it's quality time, Kristen. Quality time. Quality time. And, and, and the perfect quarantine gifts as well. Not by chance. I hope she doesn't figure it out. So like by this time tomorrow, will you please send me at least a video, if not two, of the two of you scootering around the driveway slash neighborhood? 100%. I will send you that and us trying the pogo stick because my mom has been like, please get off like you have a career. It's a good calf workout though, the pogo stick. It is, if you don't fall. Right. Then it's a, then it's surefire ankle rehab. (laughs) Not what I need right now. Good gifts and happy birthday, Layla. We love you. Huge thanks to everybody who listened to this episode of Ledlow and Parker. We're back again next week. And huge thanks to our friend, Andy. I would say check out his work, but you guys already unknowingly check out his work. What, years and years, but huge thanks for taking the time to join us.